Hello, and welcome back to Character Speaks, a podcast in partnership with ProSign Design to spotlight passionate character educators who are walking the talk. I'm your host, Barbara Gruner, and today we are visiting with Dr. Christian Miller from North Carolina, an author, a professor, and an all-around good guy about his book, The Character Gap, and life in general. Good morning, Dr. Miller. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And thank you so much for being here. Is it right that there's a hurricane headed your way? Yeah, so if I'm a little distracted, hope you understand. We, uh, we're expecting Hurricane Florence to hit here maybe on Friday or Saturday. Uh, I, I live in Winston-Salem, which is in the middle of the state, so it shouldn't impact us too much. We expect some flooding and some maybe some high winds, but I'm quite concerned about all my friends who are on the coast and what's going to happen when the hurricane hits. Well, we are definitely lifting them up and sending good vibes their way. We just went through that a year ago ourselves here in Texas with Hurricane Harvey and then, of course, Florida with Irma and Puerto Rico with Maria. So we're no stranger to the the natural disaster that those hurricanes can cause. Well, we, we, we just hope that people make wise decisions, exercise good character. So, you know, sometimes maybe it's more important to leave possessions behind and just get to a safe place than it is to try and um, do the courageous thing or, or maybe the foolish thing and stay behind. So I just hope everyone's safe. Amen. Hey, you're in North Carolina. Tell us a little bit about your life there, would you? Sure. I've been here for the last 15 years. I went off to uh, college in New Jersey and then graduate school in Indiana. And when I finished up my PhD, which is in philosophy, I went on the job market like all academics do and trying to find a, a position where I could be a teacher. And lo and behold, I was hired by Wake Forest University here in North Carolina, and I've been here ever since for the last 15 years. It's a, it's a wonderful school that I'm at. It's a school that focuses on undergraduate education with about 5,000 undergraduates. As I said, it's in the middle of the state, so we get uh, a kind of easy access to the mountains on the one side of the state and easy access to the beach on the other side. And so I've just kind of settled down here uh, over the years and met my wife here. We've started a family. We now have three small children, age uh, four, uh, six, and two. And, and I'm just, uh, just very blessed and thankful to, to be where I am right now. That sounds like a wonderful time in your life and a, a beautiful place to settle down. It, it sure is. So I, I've lived in lots of different areas. But one really nice thing about North County is you get all four seasons but without them being too severe. So you have this, the summer, doesn't get too hot typically. You have the winter, you get some snow, but not too much. Uh, so ni- nice fall, nice spring. Uh, so the, the quality of life, that's just one example of how the quality of life is very, very good here. The uh, cost of living is low, crime is relatively low, uh, and, the, and the schools are good. So uh, like I said, I'm, I'm very, very thankful. I don't take it for granted. That sounds ideal. Um, you wrote a book called The Character Gap, which kind of drew us to one another on Twitter. Can you talk a little bit about that um, project? Sure, I'd love to. So I've been, as an academic, researching the topic of character for over 10 years now. And as academics do, we tend to write articles in academic journals and publish books with academic publishers. And they, you know, usually, with maybe a few exceptions, usually don't get read by many people. They kind of uh, gather dust on the shelves, so to speak. But it's important work. We're trying to, you know, move the discussion, in my case, the discussion of character forward with some new discoveries and uh, and greater clarity and uh, deeper insight into what character is. 
But after a while, I kind of grew restless with just doing that. I thought, this is really an important topic that can speak to so many more people than just my fellow academics in the world of philosophy. So about five years ago, I thought, well, what if I could try and take what I've already been doing? I've written a number of articles, a number of books on character. Try and take some of that, repackage it, make it uh, much more accessible, take out all the jargon, take out all the philosophy language and so forth, add some current events, add some history and some sports and other things to make it a little bit more exciting, and package it as a short book on the topic of character. So I, I gave it a try five years ago, not really having any training in doing this. You know, as academics, we don't, you know, we're not encouraged to write for a popular audience. We're not really rewarded for doing that. But I thought, you know, I, I want to give it a try. So fast forward to today, and the, the result has been this book called The Character Gap, How Good Are We? And the the, the, the way the book is put together really falls into three um, or sections or parts. First, I want to talk about just what is character? As a philosopher, I want to be real clear about our terms and how we're defining our terms. We, if we don't know what we're talking about, we're not going to get very far. So start by talking about what is character? Then move on from there and say, how good are we today? How good of a job are we in developing a good character and avoiding a bad character, or the, in the language I like to use, a virtuous character. Are we approaching a virtuous character, and are we avoiding a vicious character? I'd be happy to talk about you know, what, what I think about all this. Uh, but then in the third section, I say, okay, we understand what character is. We have a better picture of how we're doing, and by the way, it's not great. Uh, and in the third section, I say, well, how can we do better? What are some concrete, practical strategies for trying to bridge the character gap, hence the name of the book, the gap between how we actually are, what our character tends to look like, actually speaking, and the kind of character we should have, that virtuous character, that really good character. What kind of concrete steps can we take in our lives so that we can shrink that gap or bridge that gap so that our character better reflects, actually speaking, the kind of character we should have? Nice. So mostly the reviews have been positive and the book has been well received, but it seems to me I saw one from earlier this year that wasn't really that strong. Uh, yes. And so the one you're referring to is a review that appeared in the Wall Street Journal. And the reviewer, who's another philosopher, so a kind of colleague of mine in, in my profession, uh, he liked the book with one exception. So the book has 10 chapters. He liked the first nine chapters, so that's great, and I'll, I'll take that any day. He didn't like the last chapter, and I haven't uh, alluded to the last chapter yet, but in, in that last section of the book, I said I'm talking about strategies for improving character, and I start with secular strategies. So you know, strategies available to anyone, whether you're religious or you're not religious, whatever your, your background is. But then I end the book with chapter 10, which has to do with religious strategies. And my thinking there is, look, uh, religion is such an, a pervasive phenomenon. It's so widely, uh, so influential, so widely believed in throughout the world that it would be incomplete to just talk about ideas for improving character that come from a secular perspective. We should at least look at, to see different religions around the world, to see if they have some helpful insights 
into character development. Surely mm-hmm. they must. I mean, uh, it'd be surprising if the vast majority of people throughout human history who have been religious didn't have some uh, good insights we could use whether we are religious or not ourselves. And so in that chapter, I specifically focused on one religion because I thought to myself, well, I don't want to do five pages on Confucianism. I don't want to do five pages on Judaism, five pages on Islam, five pages on Christianity. That would be so superficial. That would almost be insulting to practitioners of those religions. We're not, not going to get very far. So I decided to pick one religion, in this case, Christianity, and go much deeper into that religion. Not to say that other religions don't have insights. They have great insights. Many of them do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just more strategically I wanted to go deeper into one rather than superficially into a variety. So that's what happened in that last chapter. I talk about how Christianity has a number of different contributions to make to discussion of character development. We can we can get into those if you like. But now back to the review. Uh, the reviewer didn't like that chapter. Uh, he thought uh, he was kind of a little bit more uh, hostile towards religion or um, skeptical about religion and uh, kind of wish I had not included that chapter and just ended at the end of chapter nine. So that's, that explains uh, what happened in that review. Got it. In my book, What's Under Your Cape, I actually talk about the golden rule in all of the different religions, because I firmly believe that we're spiritual as part of the whole person, the whole child, and we can't ignore that piece, right? So regardless of the religion that we choose, if we choose a religion at all, to meet the, those spiritual needs, it still exists that that we are spiritual beings. Is that kind of why you went with not leaving it incomplete or not stopping at chapter nine? Right, right, exactly. Uh, so I, I agree with you that, that religion is, uh, is extremely influential and important, and it seems to be often speaking to something in human beings, that there's some kind of, as you said, uh, spiritual needs or some aspect of us that uh, really resonates with religious ideas. Now, not in everyone, of course, um, and that what that can look like can vary very, very a great deal from person to person. Right. So the religious needs of one person can be very different from another. Um, but but here's, a, here's what, another way to get at the same point. Uh, today, uh, the vast majority of people s- say they subscribe to one of the major world religions, like Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, etc. Well, those religions have been around for a long time. They've been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. And in each religion, they have specific teachings about character. They think that character is important, uh, that good character should be developed, and they have their own insights, kind of advice and guidelines and practices and rituals and steps to follow to develop a good character. Right. And some of those, some of those practices are bound up with the religion. So you have to be a, a follower of that particular religion to engage in those practices. Correct. But some of other of those practices are not uh, bound up with that religion so that you can learn from those practices, even if you're not uh, specifically a practitioner of that religion. So uh, to make that a little bit more concrete, uh, one example would be um, uh, confessing. Uh, another would be fasting. Another would be tithing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know you can make a commitment to donate a certain percentage of your earnings to charity, whether you're religious or not. 
But, you know, many religions have all kinds of helpful resources to enable us to think more about that, making that commitment to tithe, to, you know, to donate to charity on a regular basis, a firm commitment to weekly, monthly, yearly. To make it more intentional. Yep, to make it more intentional and make it more habitual. Correct. And make it more more dispositional and to make it more part of our character. So to grow our generosity. And so I, I think that's worth spending time to look at. So in the first part, you talk about what is character. Do you delineate certain core values or are you a bit more philosophical about it? Right. Um, so I, I, I want to go big picture to start with. Um, I want to say just, just what is this concept of character? Let's make sure we're not talking about people on the stage in Broadway. You know, we're talking, talking about characters in a movie. <laughs> right. Sometimes that, Sometimes they get asked that, you know, so do you go to a lot of plays and you watch a lot of movies? Uh, so we're not, you know, clearly we're not even talking to each other when we're, when we're having that kind of conversation because they're thinking about something completely different than I am. So I want to say that character, moral character, is what I'm focused on. And that has to do with our kind of moral fiber. It's how we're disposed to think, feel, and act when it comes to moral questions. So thinking, feeling, and action is not just behavioral. It's also the underlying psychology that matters. That's, that's pretty abstract. So let's, let's take an example. Uh, take honesty. Honesty is a character trait. Uh, it's a virtue in particular. And it, an honest person is someone who, of course, tells the truth, doesn't cheat, doesn't steal. But the, the behavior is honest. But there's more to it if you have a, a, a good character of honesty. It's that you think in honest ways. You, uh, you know, you think about, I should not uh, tell this lie and you are motivated in honest ways. You care about the truth. Um, you're more motivated to tell the truth than you are to, uh, to tell a lie for selfish advantage. And then all that flows into your behavior. So, or in other words, your behavior flows out of your underlying psychology when you are an honest person. So that's how I think about kind of character in general. And then on the question of specific values. Well, I kind of divide character into good character. Those are the moral virtues, things like honesty, courage, integrity, uh, temperance, justice, compassion. And then on the other flip side, of course, we have the moral vices, the bad character traits, things like dishonesty, cowardice, uh, intemperance, injustice, and the like. So we have these two kinds of character traits. And then we can talk about, well, what exactly are the virtues? Can we come up with a, a kind of list of all of them? Uh, you know, a kind of once and for all definitive <laughs> list. They're, they're exactly 24 virtues, not 25, not 23. I, I don't do that. Um, okay. I, I, simply because I, I, I'm a little bit skeptical that we can kind of nail it down once and for all. Um, what I tend to do is I, I tend to say, look, there's a lots of agreements. We can agree that honesty is a virtue. We can agree that integrity is a virtue. We can agree that justice is a virtue. We can start naming a whole bunch of them. I don't know if, if I can, you know, end the list or, we, or maybe, we, you know, tomorrow someone will think of another one to put on the list and that's fine. <laughs> but let's start with our agreements. Let's start with all these ones, which we can agree are virtues and then let's work towards promoting those and growing in character to realize those virtues in our character. So 
how are we doing? I guess in, in your book, you wanted to talk about the difference between being virtuous or being vicious. And of course, there's good and evil in all of us. But, but what were your findings? Yeah, so uh, long story here. Um, and to tell the story, I actually look towards psychology. So I leave my own discipline of philosophy because as a philosopher, I can't sit in my armchair or in my office and just figure out how most people are doing. I, right. I need, I need to get some there. data. Yeah, I got to get some, you know, got to get some data, got to get your hands dirty. Thankfully, I don't have to actually do the work myself. I can just read the work of psychologists who have done the experiments because I like to look at the work of psychologists because what they do is they'll put a whole bunch of people in different situations and then probe their character. So you put people in this situation, do they tell the truth or do they not tell the truth? You put them in a different situation, you know, different people in a different situation, do they cheat or not cheat? Or do they steal or not steal? Or do they help or not help? And so after a while, you start amassing a whole bunch of these studies, you start getting more and more data, and you can craft an overall picture of how people's character is looking today. And so that's what I did. I didn't actually do any studies myself. I'm not a psychologist, but I read hundreds and hundreds of these studies going back to the 1950s, 1960s, and saw what the emerging picture looked like. And to again, to tell a long story very shortly, the emerging picture, in my mind, is one of a very mixed character. Maybe not so exciting to, you know, very provocative, <laughs> provocative to put this way. Oh, great. Neutral? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... Um, uh, I would I would say mixed. Um, neutral makes it sound like there's there's no bad or good at all. Um, it's like value neutral. I think there's you know it's it's very much uh, value. There, there's values here, but there are some good and some bad. Um, so we could say neutral too. Uh, I say it, it's a it's a mixed bag. Um, so in other words, part of our characters will lead us to do very admirable actions. So in the studies, we find people. Uh, willing to sign up in certain conditions to help a complete stranger with their homework or to not uh, cheat, even though they could get away with it and make some money. But in other situations, we see a very uh, disappointing side to our characters, where people are willing to cheat in other situations, to cheat in order to get money for themselves when they think they can get away with it, and even to hurt other people up to the point of killing innocent people in order to comply with instructions from an authority figure. Wow. Could, yeah, this is the famous Milgram experiments from the 1960s. I can say more about those if you, if you like. But uh, the takeaway message is that uh, for any given person or any, any average person, there's quite a bit of good and there's quite a bit of bad. The overall uh, picture is one of a mixed character. Kind of makes an argument for a little bit of character education in the schools in addition to the homes, do you think? Uh, I, I would say uh, more than a little bit of an argument. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, 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 um, I mean, one thing to note right off the bat is that character is being shaped in the schools already. So that there's no such thing as uh, kind of neutral uh, education going on in schools when it comes to character. Uh, people, you know, every day, Students are being taught to be more obedient or less obedient, to be more helpful or not, to be more honest or not. The, the question is, um, should we be more intentional about it, you know, emphasize it kind of explicitly and devote resources towards it? And if so, 
what should it look like? What form should it take? What should be some kind of practical steps to implement to try and uh, move the needle on students' character? That's a really interesting point, that it's happening regardless. And I think we've really been talking about that on Twitter a lot. If you're not branding your school, somebody else is. And I don't know that character and branding go together necessarily, but if you're not intentional with your character education efforts, then they're happening unintentionally. That's right. So, I mean, just think about some maybe obvious things that are having an impact on people's character. So, you know, emphasis on students coming to class on time, uh, having done their homework. That's that's having to do with the student's conscientiousness. Are they, uh, you know, diligent and persevering? Are they overcoming the challenges of the homework? Uh, emphasis on don't cheat on the test. Well, that's speaking to, to students' uh, honesty or dishonesty mm-hmm. and trying to mold them in a certain way that signaling that cheating is something we disapprove of and that it would be wrong to do. And we want you to be a kind of person who doesn't engage in that kind of behavior, but instead cares about doing things the right way. Right. So all throughout the school day, I think you could find plenty of specific examples where character is being shaped in one way or the other. So we're going to switch gears now because I know this might stretch you a little bit out of your academic chair, but you are a dad, you are a professor, um, you are an author. How are you taking care of yourself so that you can perform all of these services well? Um, well, my wife would probably say I'm not taking care of myself <laughs> well enough um, because I, I don't sleep nearly enough and uh, life is very, very full uh, with, with our three kids and, and all the things I juggle as an academic um, one, one thing that, um, is really helpful, this is not re- maybe so much taking care of myself, but it really, I think fits with what we're talking about. It's really important for me to spend a lot of time with my children. Uh, I, I, I make sure that that happens every day. I go home, for example, uh, for lunch and, and make sure I have that time with them. And one of the things that, uh, really emerges from that experience is um, how important it is for me to be thinking about my own character. Um, because my children, they're seeing my character all the time. And they're uh, emulating and, and kind of copying and mirroring my character in their own lives. Um, so I, in terms of self-care, I really want to be thinking about what kind of character am I developing in general? Of course, that's, that's really important. And what kind of character am I developing with respect to my wife? But I'm also trying to think about what kind of character am I uh, role modeling towards my, my, my children? Um, so even when I'm not with my family and I'm by myself, I, I kind of look back and reflect and think, you know, could I have done that differently? Could I have handled that situation better? Um, what areas do I really need to work on um, so that I can be a good person in general, but also be a good example and role model towards my, my children. What a great reflective and insightful answer. In, in our Character Strong work, we ask the question, who needs character ed? And, you know, sometimes you want to go, well, uh, Jimmy does. He's in my first period and he cheats all the time. But if we're honest and reflective and conscientious about, you know, self-improvement, then, like, we'll all raise our hands, Right. Right. So that's right. Uh, so we all need character improvement. That that seems to be uh, just a, a given. Um, and 
one way to think about character improvement in this context is not necessarily does someone else need character improvement, but how what kind of character improvement do I need? And by improving my character, that might have an indirect impact on someone else. So in, to, to put it a, a different way, um, there's lots of really interesting research that I consulted when I was writing my book, uh, research in psychology, on how uh, not just explicit programming or direct programming, but just being a kind of person and having your character serve as an example can impact others. So others can look to role models and exemplars and moral heroes and through the emotion of admiration, they admire something they see and then want that to be part of their own character. So one of, perhaps one of the most effective character development strategies is actually to improve ourselves so that that can be a basis for uh, others to emulate. Now, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, I've got it all figured out. I'm such a good person. Everyone copy me. No, 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 no. definitely not. Definitely not. Um, but it's just, it's just a psychological fact that we role model, um, that there are role models and that we tend to emulate and copy the behavior of others. So let's try and make our behavior and our example a good one that others can follow. The power of our example. Like everybody, right. like you, you're teaching just by how you're living. That, 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 that's exactly right. And, you know, there, there are some very famous examples that we could consult. We could look to Abraham Lincoln uh, and talk about his honesty and have that be a, a kind of role model. We could look to Harriet Tubman and talk about her courage and have that be a role model. But some of the most powerful role models in life are those people who we interact with on a daily basis, um, who are just psychologically present in our lives, whether that's family, whether that's friends, whether that's teachers, uh, whether it's, you know, um, the neighbor down the street, they can have such a tremendous impact on us psychologically in inspiring us to be more like them, hopefully in a good way. Right. Of course, they can, it, can, it can have the opposite effect too and lead people astray and down a, a, a vicious path. But we hopefully have those role models in our lives that can inspire us on a daily basis to become more virtuous to choose virtue and to follow their lead, right? That, that, that's right. And we may not even think in those terms. So the, the word virtue may be, you know, a, a kind of more academic term or the word character might be more academic, but it doesn't matter what the word is. It's the example. So, you know, when I see that person um, go out of their way to pick up the drop papers or pick up the, the, the bike that's fallen over or hold the door for the person in the wheelchair. Um, I can see that example. And then I can maybe not even consciously, but just uh, think you know, to myself, maybe even subconsciously, wow, that was really nice. I should be more like that. Mm -hmm. And the next time an opportunity comes along in my life, I can uh, pay it forward, so to speak. I can live that out in my own life as well. Nice. So how could our listeners follow you, learn with you, grow with you, um, maybe get a hold of your book? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I, I, I would love if they would. Um, so the book, again, is called The Character Gap, How Good Are We? It's available in all the usual places, Amazon and so forth. Uh, 
I'm on Twitter at CharacterGap as well, and on Facebook at CharacterGap. Uh, so it's just one word, CharacterGap. You can find me uh, also on email. Uh, that's easy just to Google my name, and I'm at Wake Forest University. If anyone has some specific questions they'd like to uh, carry out an email, email conversation, I can't promise I'll get back to you the same day, but I'll, I'll work hard to get back to you within a few days. So I, I, you know, I want this to be a discussion that matters to people in general. That's why I wrote the trade book in the first place. So I'm very happy to um, carry out a conversation with anyone who's interested in the topic of character. What a great offer. Thank you so much. I'd also like to let you know how much we appreciate your time this morning, especially in light of the fact that you've got some wind and some rain headed your way. Um, <laughs> thank you for sharing your resources with us. Thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed our conversation. Then I want to remind the listeners that this podcast is supported by ProSign Design, a family-owned business dedicated to character, safety, and organization. Join us next week as we continue the conversation about character education, connections, and life. And in the meantime, remember that character speaks.